Hey everyone, this is Yvette Hampton. Welcome back to the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. I am so excited to have you with me today. This is part of our homeschool survival series. And let me just tell you guys, the guests that we have this week, you are going to be blown away and so very blessed by what we're going to talk about this week because this topic has been on my bucket list for, well, probably since we started recording this podcast almost four years ago, which can you believe that? It's amazing. Um, God is so faithful. And so we are going to talk this week with Tyler Hogan. He is the, the author of Demystifying Learning Styles. And so I told you guys at the very beginning of this series that we were going to talk about learning styles and we're going to just dissect this whole idea of how our kids learn and and um, what we need to know about that and how we can implement that, that in our homeschooling. But before we get into our conversation with Tyler, I want to thank our sponsor, CTC Math. They are a fantastic math online program. So if you guys are looking for a good math program, go to ctcmath.com. You can try it for free. Just, just do a trial. Put it in front of your kids and just see if it's something that works well for them. I think you will be very happy with it. ctcmath.com. Tyler Hogan, welcome to the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. It has been so much fun. We've been chatting for, oh, I don't know, about 45 minutes now before we actually started <laughs> recording. And it's one of my favorite things to do when we have guests on that I haven't met yet in person. You and I have talked on the phone, but it's really fun to just get to know your heart for homeschooling and for families, and most importantly, just what the Lord is doing in you and through your ministry and your family and um, and just the, the, this incredible resource that you have of teaching parents what learning styles are, how they work in our homeschool. And so really quickly, if you would introduce your family to us, and then we're going to dig deep into this topic this week. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my parents started homeschooling my brother and I uh, in the early 90s. And almost right away started a family publishing company called Bright Ideas Press. And over the past couple of decades, it's grown and grown. We've got a, a lot of materials out there for history, geography, science, literature. Uh, we published The Mystery of History. That's probably our, our flagship history program. Yep. Um, and my, my parents are now semi-retired and my brother and I are running the company. Uh, my wife, Helen, is also a homeschool graduate. And together we've got five little kids ranging from three to almost 13 and homeschooling all of them. And it's been, it's hard. Homeschooling yeah. is not, not always easy, but it's been excellent and very rewarding. So, so cool. I love the homeschool community and I love being able to be a part of the, uh, the group of people who make curriculum and, and get stuff out there for people to use and make their lives a little bit easier. Yeah. It's so interesting because I remember when we first started going to homeschool conventions many, many years ago. As a matter of fact, this summer will be 12 years since we went to our first homeschool convention. Mm -hmm. And as you start to learn of these different companies, the large majority of homeschool companies and curriculum developers and publishers were started by families who were homeschool families and they saw that there is a need yep. and they just said, we're <laughs> going to meet this need. We're going to write this curriculum, whether it's math or science or English or whatever, or we're going to publish these different you know, resources for homeschool families. And that's really one of the most um, special things about the homeschool community is that it really is a community 
of very like-minded families who have come together and said, we're going to figure this out together. Because as we talk about in the movie, Schoolhouse Rocked, back in the 80s and 90s, when homeschooling first began, there was very, there was basically actually no real homeschool curriculum. I mean, people oh, had to, you know, kind of, you know, grapple to find a Becca or BJU Press or whatever they mm -hmm. could get their hands on to homeschool their kids. And so today we have all of the resources that we have because of families like yours. And so I'm so grateful for your parents and their obedience to the Lord. Amen. To Me do too. That. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, I, like I said, I'm so excited to talk about this topic this week. We're talking about learning styles and we're going to dig really, really deep into the different learning styles on Wednesday's episode. But today we're going to kind of prep the groundwork for that. We're going to set the foundation for what learning styles are. And I want you to tell us first how you, you wrote this book called Demystifying Learning Styles. Um, I want to jump into really quickly first, how, why, why, why did you even start researching this? How did you get into, oh yes. um, <laughs> into this world of learning styles? So as a as a curriculum publisher, I felt like I had a duty, an obligation to understand the topic well enough to make good curriculum. And because our curriculum is designed to be used by whole families rather than just a single student at a time, uh, we have to make sure that we're teaching to all the different learning styles that are out there. So in an effort to make our curriculum easier to use and you know, cast a wide net for as many kids as possible, I wanted to make sure that we had, as a company, a solid understanding of the, the most recent, accurate, up-to-date, and practical research on the topic. So I started digging in and realizing more and more, you know, there's so much academic literature on this topic. And the first half almost completely contradicts the second half. And there's yep. so many voices <laughs> and so many theories and so many models that it was just completely inaccessible for somebody whose job it wasn't <laughs> to yeah. wade through all this material. So the book was my desire to uh, just wade through all that material for people and mm -hmm. distill the stuff that was accurate and useful and practical into one easy, quick to read and hopefully enjoyable book. So that that was my goal because there's just so much out there and there's so many myths and there's so many uh, books that are highly recommended but are now very outdated and models that aren't used anymore that still get promoted because that's what people learned a long time ago. And it's just, it's a mess. So yeah. I wanted to try and cut through all of that mess and deliver something that would be helpful and clarifying and let families breathe a sigh of relief and feel like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I can do this. It's not going to be that hard. Yes. It was funny as you and I were talking before we started recording, you were talking about research and how you enjoy researching things. And I said, that's great because I'm the complete opposite. I actually do not enjoy researching things. I want people to spoon feed me things. I just do. I don't like to research, you know, <laughs> like if I'm going to go on a vacation, I don't want to sit down for three days and research all the places to go and all the things to do. Literally, I want to go to the hotel and I want the concierge or the front desk manager to say, here are the places you should go. That'll be really fun for you. <laughs> and, you know, here's the map to get there. <laughs> like I just, I do not enjoy research um, very much at all. And so I'm so grateful for people like you who do this. And 
you know, for those who are listening to us and, and you're like, what in the world are learning styles? Can you give us a very, very brief description? And I'm I'm talking like a, a third grader description of what a learning style is. Because when I first started homeschooling, just like I didn't understand teaching styles, I didn't really understand learning styles either because as students, we go into the classroom and we just learn as our teachers teach us. But I never had anybody explain to me how I learned. Mm-hmm. And so can you give us a very brief description? And then, like I said, on Wednesday, we're going to di- uh, start diving really deeply into this, but uh, just give us a glimpse of what the learning styles are. Absolutely. So when when we talk about learning styles, what we're talking about is how do our brains make memories? How can we take new information and hold onto it and use it? And also, what kinds of things make us like doing that as opposed to just having to do that? Yeah. So when we talk about learning styles, we talk about how do we form memories and what can get in the way of forming memories. We talk about motivation and how we can either uh, motivate or demotivate our students. And then we also talk about uh, what what does growth look like? You know, what what are the goals when we're learning and how do we know if we're achieving them? Mm-hmm. So just based the, the very third grade description is a learning style is the way we take in new information. Right. Okay. And, and some of that is consistent. Everybody takes in information the same way, to, right. you know, to a certain degree, but then everybody's also a little bit different and has their own unique style of how they like to take in information. And so you have to spend a little bit of time looking at what's common to everybody and what's unique to each student. Yeah. So the the three basic learning styles would be auditory, visual, and kinesthetic, correct? So yeah, but we call those learning modalities. Okay. So there's actually, I, I think I said before, there's different models of learning styles. Okay. And some of them have to do with your learning environment, like where do you study and learn best? Mm-hmm. Some of them have to do with uh, how you like your material presented to you, and that's where the modalities come in. Gotcha. Okay. Um, some of them have to do with what parts of your brain are being activated at different times, and that would be like the, the theory of multiple intelligences. So the most commonly referenced ones are the modalities, those okay. visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and some people also include uh, reading and writing as a separate modality. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll talk more about that too. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you struggling with managing homeschooling your child on a day-to-day basis? BJU Press has a new homeschool planner that can simplify your homeschooling. With BJU Press Homeschool Hub, you can see your child's work for each day, track grades, and grade assignments all in one organized system. The BJU Press Homeschool Hub can make your experience more manageable and more enjoyable. You can have the resources you need for painless planning and happy homeschooling. Visit BJUPressHomeschool.com to see how the Hub can improve your homeschooling. Are you ready to restore our constitutional republic? Patriot Academy is on the front lines of the mission to educate, train, and inspire millions of citizens to know and live their freedoms. With courses and materials from America's Constitution coach, Rick Green, Patriot Academy's Constitution training will equip you to be a leader in your community. You don't have to know anything about history, the Constitution, or the law to get started. The courses and coach training are free. 
Find a class today or sign up to be a Constitution Coach at PatriotAcademy.com. Again, that's PatriotAcademy.com. We are back with Tyler Hogan. Um, we, y- you were talking about, um, we're, we're talking about demystifying learning styles, right? And so we're taught, you mentioned uh, memory and concentration. So let's, let's talk on that topic for just a little bit. What, what does it take to make a memory? I mean, that's something that, of course, as we're teaching our kids, the whole purpose is for them to remember the things that we're teaching them. And man, I, I, I think about my education growing up and there are some things that I remember, but very little. And it's shocking to me that I could get through, you know, 13 <laughs> years of school and come out of it and know so little. And so I want my kids to remember or memorize so much of the things that we talk about, um, of course, with the, the most important memory being God's word. Um, but let's talk about memories and, and what does it take to make a memory. Absolutely. So uh, we have this wonderful model called the multi-store model of memory. And I think it's just fascinating. And basically, think of your memory as having three parts to it, three buckets. The first is your sensory input. So this is all of the information that is coming into your brain at any given moment. You know, as you're as you're listening to this podcast, you're getting auditory information, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're feeling sensations inside and outside of your body. Maybe you're hungry or thirsty. Maybe it's too hot or too cold. Uh, you can feel you know, how soft your shoes are or how hard the ground is. You're getting uh, taste and smell information. Even if you're not noticing and paying attention to it, that's still coming in all the time. So all of our senses are constantly bombarding our brains with sensory input. Now, our brains have a filter that chooses what comes in and makes it into the next bucket and what gets discarded. And that filter is called attention. (laughs) So if you are paying attention to something, that means that you are filtering that information in and filtering Mm -hmm. everything else out. The second bucket that anything that passes through the attention filter goes into is called our working memory or sometimes our short-term memory. Working memory is the stuff that we're actively thinking about. And there's a very limited number of things that we can keep in our working memory at any given moment. And the studies suggest that depending on, uh, on who you are, that number might be anywhere from five to nine things. So the average is seven things that you can keep in your head at once, huh. which when we think about it is not that many things. No. And if you're given a list of 10 words to memorize for, say, you're taking biology and you've got 10 vocabulary words, you can't keep all 10 of those in your head. So one of the great things about discovering some of these facts about learning styles is that it can help us tailor our teaching to make our students able to do things that our brains are built to do and not expect things of our kids that their brains are just not built to do. So if I have 10 vocabulary words that I want my students to learn, I need to break it up into two groups of five. Okay. And that seems like a very small, simple thing, but our brains can hold five pieces of information. Mm -hmm. And then our brains are even better because they can chunk that into a single piece of information 
that goes into the next bucket, which is our long-term memory. Okay. And then we can start working on the next five. It's like remembering your phone number. You know, you don't mm-hmm. remember 10 digits. You remember the area code, you know, mm-hmm. the first chunk of three numbers. Right. The next three numbers are another chunk. You don't think of it as three individual digits. You think right. of it as a chunk. And then the last four. And then your brain can go, all right, I've got these three chunks. I'm going to chunk all that together. So by chunking information, we can help it fit into our kids' working memories much more effectively. Okay. And that's we talk about these kinds of strategies in the book, so I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but that's just one application of just knowing that, oh, short-term memory, working memory is a thing, and it has limits. Um, another thing that is important to know about working memory is there's a lot of stuff in our working memory that isn't helping us learn. You know, so we have what's called cognitive load, which is the the burden of everything we're thinking about. Yep. <laughs> and some the stuff of it, that keeps us up at night. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Some of it's very helpful. You know, if you're focused on something, you're getting that effective load and you want to focus on that. But then there's the stuff that keeps you up at night. There's mm-hmm. the fight that you had with your friend. There's the concern about current events, like all of these other things. Or or even just, you know, maybe I'm just hungry. Like that takes up part of my working memory. Mm -hmm. So we have this ineffective load as well. And so one of the strategies that we can use as teachers is to help our students reduce the ineffective load so that there's more room for them to think about the effective aspect of what we're trying to teach them. So if if there's an elephant in the room, (laughs) you have to deal with it before you can deal with, you know, the elephants on the page. Right, right. Is that why kids... I shouldn't say kids. I was going to say, is that why kids get so easily distracted? But I will say, is that why people, because I do that myself. I mean, I am a person who is so easily distracted. It drives me crazy. It drives my mm-hmm. husband crazy because, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, go to get him a glass of water or something. And then before I know it, I'm doing a load of laundry. And he's like, um, I thought you were going to get me some water. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did say I was going to do that, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Um, because anything that's not, getting top billing in our working memory gets flushed. Right. As soon as you put something new in, something else goes out. And it either goes into long-term memory, which is what we want. Right. (laughs) Or we just lose it because it's not important to keep. Right. So how do we balance the two? I mean, that's really the question then, because now we know that that happens and that's how our brains function. But how do we balance those things? So I think one of the best things we can do when we're trying to teach our kids is make sure that the time that we spend teaching is protected. And by protected, I mean there's not a lot of distractions. Mm -hmm. We don't have a lot of other things going on in our own minds. If we focus ourselves, that sets a good example. You know, we turn off our phones, like all the things that they tell you right. to do in movie theaters or at church, right. yeah. do that in, at, at your lessons as well. Um, consider the environment that your students are working in. Some kids don't work well if there's mm-hmm. noise because that becomes distraction and their attention filter yeah. uh, has holes in it that just lets noise in. So giving them the opportunity to have a quiet space or or the other way around. Some people work better with music or white noise or yes. you know cafe sounds and things like that. And it's 
it's bizarre to people who like silence. Like, how can you yes. possibly work with all of this chaos? But all of our attention filters are tuned differently to what distracts us and what helps focus us. Yeah. But if we can help our students develop that, uh, that area of time and space where their distractions are minimized and any relational difficulties are dealt with first, you know, if you're having a fight with your kid, uh-huh. you can't expect to go into grammar class and be able right. to have an effective learning time. Like, you have to deal with those relational aspects before you can get to the lessons. Yeah. You know, it, it's a very leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled kind of a thing. <laughs> um, and, and then also, so uh, protecting the time, protecting the space, protecting the, the heart, and also just, you know, dealing with basic bodily needs. If your kid says, hey, I really need to go use the bathroom before class, let them. I mean, some people get really uptight about, well, no, you should have done that beforehand. But really, it's to both of your benefits if you just say, okay, go ahead, go, come right back. Or if your kid is hungry, let them have a snack. Mm-hmm. You know, not something that's going to spoil lunch, but, you know, meet yeah. those needs so, because otherwise it's going to take up space in their working memory. And yeah. we don't want that. But a lot uh, of it's just practicing compassion. Sure, sure. It's practicing compassion, but it's also understanding our kids and This is such a blessing when it comes to homeschooling because no classroom is ever going to be set up. No teacher can cater this learning environment to each individual child. It's impossible. And it's hard for parents to do as well, especially if you have multiple kids. But I appreciate that you talked about, you know, just the different learning environments. This was something that was so bizarre to me. When Garrett and I first got married, I'm the, the, I need total silence whenever I, if I have anything that I have to concentrate on, I mean, silent, like to the point where sometimes I will have to put in earplugs because even the sound of the dishwasher <laughs> or the ice machine making oh, ice yeah, or whatever absolutely. is distracting to me. And so I will put in earplugs or headphones or something to where I have just total silence. And then I can just be alone with my thoughts and I can concentrate and focus on what I need to concentrate on. Garrett is the complete opposite. He, he got through college by listening to rock music on his headphones while he would write papers. And I was like, how in the world can you write a paper and listen to music at the same time? And he said, I can't write a paper if I don't listen to music. And and I'm talking loud. Not, I mean, not like, you know, heavy metal, but he would listen to loud music. Yeah. And he that's just how his brain works. And I'm so thankful that the Lord helped me to see that early in our marriage because we have a daughter who's the same way. She needs to listen to music. She needs to have something else coming into her into her ears in order mm-hmm. to concentrate. But had I not known that about him, I I would be the mom, you know, thinking of my traditional school upbringing. He yep. would be like, "You need to sit quietly at your desk with no noise whatsoever, no distractions, and do your work. Go." And she would probably sit there and just stare at her paper and not be able to accomplish anything. And yep. um, and so it's so interesting to see how God has created each one of us uniquely yeah, to learn yeah, in a because different the, way. The, the idea isn't, you know, distractions are okay. That's not mm-hmm. what we're saying at all. We're saying distractions vary from person to person. What right. distracts one person helps another person focus, which is right. counterintuitive. Right. But I mean, that that conflict that you described, that was my mother and my older brother as uh, when he was a teenager. And my mom just could not 
wrap her head around him wanting to listen to music and work on his math. So what they agreed to do, though, was they they did a controlled study. She said, all right, I'm going to let you listen to music for Mm -hmm. the next two weeks. And if your grades either stay the same or improve and your study time either stays the same or decreases, Uh then you can continue to listen to music. But if your grades go down, or if it takes you longer to study, we're going back to quiet. And he passed the test and he got <laughs> to keep his headphones. I love it. That's so cool. Okay, so we we learn how to help build our students' learning environment. Um, talk really quickly. We just have a couple minutes left, but I want to talk about multitasking because I know a lot of kids will want to multitask. <laughs> and again, I shouldn't say just kids. I know people, adults, myself is who I'm really talking about. <laughs> I try to multitask and I often find myself not being nearly as effective as I know I would be, but it's so hard because you're, you you know, you talked earlier about having all sorts of different things coming into our brain at one time. And so I'll, I'll focus on, I'll, I'll be focusing on one thing and then my brain will go to something different and I'm like, oh, I need to do this. And if I don't do this, I'm going to forget to do it. So then I'll switch gears and go to something else. But then I, Yep. forget what I was doing before. <laughs> and I'm like, this multitasking thing isn't really working. Um, talk about multitasking for a little bit. So our, our brains are not designed to multitask. We, you said it perfectly. You switch yeah. from one task to another task. And what happens is when we switch back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, it takes time to drop one set of working memory items, mm-hmm. put it into long-term storage, pull out another set from long-term storage, put that into working memory, work with that for a little while. And then when you want to switch again, it's, all right, take this, file it away, pull out another file folder, bring it up, open it up, look inside. Like that takes a lot of mental power. Right. And it's, it's an inefficiency. Now, that's true whether it's, you know, trying to study two things at once, trying to get two chores done at once, or trying to read a book with your phone next to you and your mm-hmm. notifications keep dinging. Yep. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what the task is, and it doesn't have to be work. It might be fun, sure. but that's still switching your brain from one task to another. Your brain doesn't think fun things aren't tasks. It still thinks of them as tasks. Right. So you have to be aware of every time I'm switching to another task, I'm losing momentum on the first one. And I have to gain momentum on the second one. And it's just, I mean, one of my favorite exercises when, when I have kids who are like, no, I can, I can multitask, is I say, all right, take a piece of paper and write the alphabet and then the numbers 1 through 32 or 36 or however high you want to go underneath it. Just do it in order and I'm going to time you. All right. And then after I get the time for that, do the same thing except go back and forth between letters and numbers. Okay. So A1, B2, C3. Oh, and, wow. And do yeah. that the whole way through until you get to the end of the alphabet. And then see how the times compare. It's always longer. Wow. To do it the second way. And not only is it longer, but you introduce, not every kid will do this, but you often introduce errors when mm-hmm. you do it the second way. Interesting. Like you'll, you'll skip a number or do a letter twice or something like that. Okay. So our brains just aren't built to work that way. Yeah. And it, it shows in the quality and in the speed of our work. 
So, okay, I have two questions that I'm thinking about. I'll ask the first one first. How do we then teach our kids to stay focused just on one single thing at a time and not try to multitask? Answer that one, and then I'll ask you my second question. Okay. Um, well, one of them is to, uh, one one way to teach them that would be to give them that little test and let them see for, for themselves. Okay. You know, and, and the other thing is, you know, this isn't a hill that I would die on if mm-hmm. I've got, you know, if my teenager wants to study and do something else at the same time, and she's got all the time in the world, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a, a bear about it. Sure. If she wants to waste some time doing that, that's her time. It's not hurting anybody. Yeah. Um, so it, it's something that I want her to be aware of. So she's making an informed decision about how mm-hmm. she spends her time. Um, but she'll, she'll pick up quickly. Oh, I could have gotten this done in half, half the time. time. Yeah. And as soon as she realizes that, that's motivation to not do it any other way. Right. Once you experience focus, distraction feels bad. Yeah. Okay. I lied. I have another question. So I, I have two more now. <laughs> I just <laughs> added one as you were saying that. Um, as we're well, thinking and, and about- Don't let me forget, we need to go back to how to get something from short-term into long-term memory, because that's also oh, really okay. crucial. Oh, see, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Let's go back to that really quickly. And Okay. See, see, now I'm trying to multitask and and switching back and forth. (laughs) I'm proving right now your your points that you're making. (laughs) Well, so I'll I'll try and do this quickly so we can get back to your questions. Okay, sure. Information moves from our working memories into our long-term memory by having a dialogue with information that we already know. So unless you're a baby, your mind is not a blank slate. And if I'm learning a new piece of information, what my brain cells are doing is they're going to the great filing cabinet that is my mind, Uh my long-term memory, and it's finding a file folder that seems to be in the right category. Mm -hmm. And it's going to bring that out, open it up, and stick the new piece of information in that file. So that file is my prior knowledge, and whatever's in my working memory has to access that file folder in order to add something new to it. So what that means for us as teachers is that one thing that's really helpful with every lesson is to begin with a little bit of review. You know, ah. Last time we talked yep. about this, this, and this. That helps kids bring that file folder mm-hmm. out of their long-term memory so that they can start to work with it and interact with it. Or even... Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be reviewing a past lesson. Maybe it's reviewing uh, a similar experience that the student has had or a similar emotion. So asking a question like, you know, have you ever felt like you just had no control of your life? Well, somebody else had that same feeling. And today we're going to learn about Oedipus Rex and that whole cycle of Greek tragedy. So, but that... That connection of feeling like you're out of control and helpless mm-hmm. becomes the the hook that you hang new information on. Okay. The feeling becomes the prior knowledge. So even if they know nothing about Greek tragedy, they have an emotional prior knowledge that they can build information onto that. So whether you're reviewing past material or just helping them form a stronger memory or a connection with something that they already know, that makes it 10 times easier to actually make things connect from short-term working memory to the long-term memory. 
Okay. Wow. Okay. We, we are way over, but I'm just going to ask these last two questions and that's okay. We, we rarely go over like this, but this is so important, this information, and this is so fascinating to me. So we're going to go back to multitasking okay. <laughs> again, because I had two more questions on that as you were talking about it. Um, my first question is, as you were talking about kids multitasking and giving them that quiz, I know oftentimes for kids, if we're, I, I just want to make sure that we make it clear what multitasking is, because for my girls, I know if we're doing um, read alouds, which we do a lot of read alouds in our family. As a matter of fact, you mentioned the mystery of history. My girls listen to the mystery of history audio version mm -hmm. and they love listening to Linda Hobart read the books to them. Yes, she's and, great. But love she her. is great. But I read to my girls a lot, um, even my 16 year old. It's so much fun. We've always done it through you know their entire homeschool life. And so usually, almost always as I'm reading to them, they are doing something else with their hands. They're drawing, they're building. Usually my mm -hmm. older one is drawing. Um, it, they're doing something to keep their hands busy. Um, that's different than multitasking. That is, right? that's very different than multitasking. Okay. In fact, we'll, we'll talk a little bit this about this when we get to uh, the kinesthetic learning style okay. on Wednesday, um, because one of the big things for kinesthetic learners is that they have to be moving mm -hmm. in order to learn. <laughs> That's okay. so important for them. And I, I don't have data to back this up, but my theory is that, you know how we talked about everybody has an attention filter that's kind of tuned differently. Yes. I think a lot of kinesthetic learners are so attuned to their body's need to move uh -huh. that when their muscles right. are just sitting there, not doing anything, that becomes their distraction. Yes. And that feeling of I'm antsy because I, I can't I can't move and I really want to move right now. Yes. That winds up taking so much of their working memory. Right. There's no room for anything else. Yeah. And that's why you see so many kids just dying fidgeting out of boredom and not paying attention is because they're so distracted by their own body. Yeah. So I mean I've I've had a lot of experiences with kinesthetic learners, and I feel so bad for them because school is not built for them. Oh no, it's not. It sit I, still I in your desk and be quiet. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't work for everybody like that. So I know people who, you know, they'll take their homework and they'll pace while they read. Mm -hmm. Or I know one family who got their daughter a treadmill, and she just walks on the treadmill while she yeah. does her studying. You know, her her assignment is on a clipboard, so she can still write on it. Oh, that's and awesome. That's, that's just necessary. Yeah. You know? Or take great. a break every two minutes and let them do a couple laps around the coffee table. Yep. Like yep. that sort of thing is important because it, that's when you're fidgeting, doing something with your hands, that's actually holding distractions at bay gotcha. rather than causing a multitasking distraction. Yeah. Great. Okay. That's perfect. I, I wanted to clarify that because I don't want moms to come away from this episode and think, oh, my kids need to sit still so that they're not multitasking while I'm reading to them or while they're doing something else. And then no, one more question. No, but they probably need to not be playing video games. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that we don't want to do. maybe Minecraft, not so much. Yeah. Um, okay. Just one last question. If you can maybe give a brief answer on this as we're talking about multitasking and how that really is distracting to us. Um, how as adults, and I want to speak specifically to the mom who has multiple kids, multiple ages, and she's trying to teach her 12-year-old, you know, grammar or science or something, and she's got a three-year-old at her feet, 
it's it's impossible for that mom when she's got multiple kids to stay focused on one child doing one thing. Moms have to multitask. So how can we as as moms and dads who have many things pulling for our attention at the same time, how can we stay focused and concentrate on what is most important in that moment? Oh my goodness, you're asking the real questions here. You know what? Should, let me ask you this. Should we save that one that question for Wednesday? Is that a big answer? Um I, I'll, I'll try and, and do a brief version and then we can we can dive in more okay. Wednesday if you want. But I mean, you're describing my family. We, we've got five <laughs> kids and that is exactly what happens to my wife every day. You know, the three-year-old is always wanting attention in the middle of lesson time. A um, couple things that have worked well for us. Uh, sometimes you take one kid and put them in charge of babysitting another so that you can focus on the third. Mm-hmm. That, that's been helpful for us. Um, Obviously, there's limits to that. Another thing that you can do is give them an activity that's going to occupy them for a while. You know, my my littlest one can play with Play-Doh for a long time before she realizes that she wants to do something else. Uh-huh. And every kid's going to have their their different thing. Sure. Um, and it's okay to even use a digital babysitter if you need to. Yeah. So that you can have that time to get those lessons done. Another strategy would be to make the younger student a part of the lesson. Uh, we, we have a cat named Hevel, and she can either be a terrible distraction or she can be the object lesson. And when Helen uses the cat, you know, to explain zoology terms uh-huh. or to, you know, we, we put a box on the table and we put the cat in the box and next to the box and through the box. And like uh-huh. that becomes our, our preposition study. So yeah. <laughs> we, we take those distractions and we incorporate them. Okay. And because that kind of thing is funny... Uh-huh. then we have the added benefit of not only are we putting this information into the file folder labeled grammar, mm-hmm. we're also putting it into funny memories that we made with mom or gotcha. funny things about the cat. And we love taking out that folder. Like yeah. that gets used a lot. So the more sensory connections you can build with, with prior knowledge even taking what would otherwise be a distraction and turning it into an object lesson. And obviously okay. you can't do that every single sure. time, but when you can, yeah. that creates a really sticky memory that helps with focus instead of detracting from focus. Sure. Okay. That's great. Great stuff. All right. Well, we have gone way, way over time, I'm but that's so okay. Sorry. No, oh, don't be sorry. <laughs> I keep asking the questions. Um, but I we just have there's so much to talk about with this. We could probably so do much three weeks on this spe- specific topic. Uh, but it's so important. And I really want parents to understand the importance of knowing how our kids learn and being able to adapt our homeschool to teach them and allow them to learn the way that God created them to learn. So Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. We will be back on Wednesday. We're going to dig deeper into learning modalities and learning styles. And I'm really excited about that as well. Um, If you guys have not yet watched Schoolhouse Rocked, The Homeschool Revolution, go to schoolhouserocked.com. You can stream it. You can get it on DVD. Hold a a party at your house, invite your friends over, pop some popcorn, throw some hot tamales or M&Ms in the popcorn. You will thank me for that because that's the best way to eat popcorn. Not hot tamales and M&Ms at the same time, but one or the other. And uh, just have a fun party. Thank you guys. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. Bye. What we do at IEW is break through the, the noise of the grammar and the writing prompts, and we say, this is what you do. 
step by step. And I've witnessed it over and over again, both watching Andrew teach and hearing from parents, this is the best writing program. We've made it so easy and made it really affordable. So any mom can teach writing to their children using our course, and we guarantee it. To try three weeks of free lessons, visit IEW.com.